Okay, I think I'm, yeah, I'm on. Okay, uh, I think when Scott asked, you know, what do you want to teach on kind of thing, <clears throat> we were, he, you know, it's like he didn't say who wants to teach and, you know, that kind of thing. It was like, you're going to teach and what do you want to teach on? So uh, we were going through and still are going through a study of uh, the Trinity, uh, several of the men, probably about eight or nine of us, uh, in this book that we're using is called Trinity and Reality by Ralph A. Smith. And it's an excellent book. Uh, really explores the Trinity, uh, makes it very, uh, I guess, as practical as you can make the Trinity. The Trinity is a very complex doctrine. It's, it's a very difficult uh, doctrine. Uh, uh, it's, we're going to look at it here in a minute, and we're going to see some things about it that, you know, are just, uh, you know, because God is who he is, uh, uh, the Trinity really transcends our ability to comprehend it. And uh, so uh, another source that I used was Modern Reformation. Uh, this is the Trinity issue. It's about, I think, two or three years old. Um, but Modern Reformation is a publication by the White Horse Inn radio program. Uh, and uh, they are very good uh, theologically, uh, doctrinally. Uh, they have kind of a roundtable radio program where several uh, of the these pastors sit around and they'll bring up a subject and they'll they'll talk about it and uh, they usually go on themes. But this particular month, uh, or actually a two-month period, uh, they were focusing on the Trinity. And so there's also some radio programs that went along with that. And uh, if you get on their website, you can go back and and. Uh, uh, into their archives, and you can listen to the radio programs, and, and you can also access back issues of the Trinity, or, or back issues of Ma Modern Reformation. So, anyway, that's those are the things I used to prepare. Uh, there's a lot of other things written. A very good source is uh, a Puritan uh, book that was written uh, by Bailey uh, called "The Pursuit of." of uh, well, I can't remember the name of it right now. Hold on a second. Should have the practice of piety by Lewis Bailey, and it's a it's a really good book. It's one of those old ones. It's not a real easy read, but uh, it's excellent. And I just I just got it recently and put it on my my Kindle. And I'm using my Kindle tonight simply because my eyes aren't as good as they used to be. And if I stand up here and try to read my Bible. Uh, the light's not good enough, but this thing has a real good backlight on it, so I, I can read easily. So I've, already, I've got things queued up, so I will give you time to look up the verses as we go. Uh, the first thing I want to do is we want to lay out, okay, what is, let's, let's put the Trinity in a nutshell. What's the doctrine of the Trinity in a nutshell? And so uh, if you could put up the first slide uh, for us. Uh, so I said the Trinity in, in a definition in a nutshell, and I pulled this out of some of the sources that I was using. There is one God in three distinct persons, <clears throat> Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. The three are equal in glory, majesty, and power, and exist in relationship to one another. They are not merely different names for one God. Okay, That is the doctrine of the Trinity. And uh, as Ben has said in before in some of his sermons, we stand on the shoulders of people that have gone before us and have, who have sacrificed greatly 
to keep the doctrines of the, of the Christian faith orthodox and pure, okay? Because uh, heresies have continually tried to enter in through the centuries. And it didn't take very long in the, in the new Christian church for heresy to start to enter in with regard to the Trinity, and we'll look at some of that. The doctrine of the Trinity is Christianity's most distinctive doctrine. To not believe the Trinity is to not be Christian. It's just pretty much that simple, okay? Without the Trinity, there is no Christian faith. Um, there are people who have a problem with the word Trinity because it's nowhere in Scripture. The word Trinity does not appear in the Bible anywhere, okay? It is a theological term that was, uh, that was used to describe what is all over the Bible, and that is uh, one God in three persons. Uh, it's, it's everywhere, especially it's implied in the Old Testament, but it's very explicit in the New Testament all over the place. So uh, we don't consider that to be a valid argument that uh, against the Trinity, that the, the word doesn't appear in the Bible, so uh, it must not be valid. So we, we, we dismiss that. That's not, that doesn't hold water. <clears throat> Even though it's a revealed truth of the scriptures, it's impossible for us to fully comprehend. Okay? God is eternal. Uh, Psalm 90, verse 2 says, he is from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, psalm 90 verse 2 psalm 90 is a, is is a, a psalm of moses actually and it says lord you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting you are god so moses underst at least understood something of the eternity of god okay he's from everlasting to everlasting okay so that's one thing about god that we really can't we, we can know it. We can know that he's from everlasting to everlasting. But how do, we, how do we grasp that? We really can't, okay? Another verse, uh, Psalm 145.3. Uh, we, we, uh, we, we see how God's ways are un, unsearchable. His ways are unsearchable. So in Psalm 145.3, It's a psalm of David. He says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. God's greatness is unsearchable. Okay? And then Isaiah 40, 28. It says, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the earth, of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Okay? So his understanding is unsearchable. Then Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, probably a fairly familiar passage to a lot of you. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay, so we begin to see, you know, the Trinity being actually, that is God. We have, we have a God who is a triune God. Uh, if his ways are unsearchable, and uh, he's from everlasting to everlasting, and we're finite and uh, very transient on this earth, you know, it's difficult, it's impossible. We can apprehend the Trinity. Apprehending it means we can kind of grasp the, the truth of it, you know, but we can't comprehend it fully just because it's beyond us. And there's a couple other verses that I'd like us to look at. Uh, Romans 11.33, in that regard. Somebody read Romans 11.33 for me, if you got it. Okay. Unsearchable are his judgments, unscrutable his ways. And then <clears throat> Ephesians 3 8. Okay, the unsearchable riches of Christ. So God's ways, his, uh, the, the things about God are unsearchable to us. Okay, so if we can't comprehend the Trinity, why are we studying it? Why do we study it? Uh, well, for several reasons, but one is that God wants us to know him to the extent that he has revealed himself in Scripture creation, and history, and that our finiteness will allow, okay? So we can grasp and understand God. Uh, his, this knowledge that we have about God, though, does not need to be head knowledge. It shouldn't be head knowledge. It needs to affect the way we live. And so studying about the Trinity and learning about the Trinity needs to affect how we live, okay? Uh, and so we're going to be looking at a lot of things that and how that can affect us. But uh, <clears throat> let's look at some verses, okay, about the things that God has revealed to us. Deuteronomy 29, 29 is a good verse. Someone can read that. Okay, so God's revealed some things to us that belong to us. He's given them to us, and we're to know them. But there's also things that he hasn't revealed to us. And it's really not, in our, it's really not for us to speculate and about things that God has not revealed to us. Because when you begin to do that, especially about God himself, 
you can wander into error pretty quickly. Okay? So the things that he has revealed, we need to uh, know what those are and know, what he's, know the things that he's revealed to us. Okay, Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. Somebody have that and want to read it? Okay. <clears throat> it says, let the man who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Okay, so God wants us to know and understand him to the extent that he's revealed, us, revealed himself to us, okay? Um, we need to have right thoughts about God. Uh, the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments, the first one was, you shall have no other gods before me. The second one was, you shall make no graven image, okay? We don't today carve images of God, okay, physical images, and we don't, uh, you know, having no other gods before him means not being an idolater, means not having other things that are more important to you than God, okay, I could say that that one's a fairly easy one uh, for us to violate, but we typically think of the second one, ah, you know, I don't have graven images, but what is it when we have mistaken or wrong ideas about God? You know, we live in a day and time in the United States where everybody wants to just kind of have whatever image of God they want to have of him, you know? Oh, I like to think about God as being like this, you know? And when I die, I think I'm, this is going to happen, you know? And uh, I'm going to go uh, to a, a real peaceful place, and, and uh, you know, my God is a God who's just all loving, and, and uh, uh, if I, you know, if I just kind of try to do my best in this life, then I'm going to be okay, you know? And, and so that's not the Bible, that's not the God that's revealed in the Bible at all, okay? And God wants us to have right thoughts about him. So we aren't free to try to conceive of God in the way we want to conceive him. We have to conceive of God in the way that the scripture reveals him, okay? And so that's one of the reasons that we need to, to study the Trinity and understand it and know it, okay? Why is the Trinity... Uh, I said it was the uh, uh, most distinctive doctrine of, of uh, the Christian faith because everything that we believe as Christians about salvation, about sanctification, uh, is, is all tied up. About reconciliation, renewal, all that, th all that is all tied up in the Trinity. Without the, without the persons of the Trinity, those things would not be a part of our faith at all. Okay, so those are reasons why we need to, to understand the Trinity as, be, as best we can and try to, and try to apprehend it and, and know what we can know about it and, and think rightly about it. Okay, 
So uh, we gotta, we're going to have like four verses. Um, we were kind of asked and directed, you know, and I think it's a good idea. We need to have some key verses that we come back to. We're going to be going to a lot of places, but I think if you, there's, there's four places in the New Testament that we need to anchor into as we talk about the Trinity. And the first one is the, the baptism of Jesus. And the, the, the account that we'll look at is the one in Matthew. It's in Matthew 3, 16 through 17. And it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Okay, so we see in the, in the baptism of Jesus, we see basically the three persons of the Trinity. We see the Son, we see the Holy Spirit, and we see the Father. We don't really see the Father, but the Father is there because he speaks and says, this is my beloved Son. So that's, that's one of our key verses. That's something if you, if, you wanted, if you want to go and find a place in the New Testament where you can see the Trinity in one spot, that, that's, that's a good place to go. Another place to go is in Matthew 28, 19, 18 and 19, which is the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, I didn't go look up any Greek here, but the, the word name is singular. It's the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, not the names of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, okay? So, we are talking about one God. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Shema in Deuteronomy says, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, okay? We believe that the Lord our God is one. Okay? Christians are not polytheists. We don't believe that there's three gods. We believe there's one God. We believe that one God exists in three persons. Okay, and so we're gonna we're gonna go into that. There's that's a com, that's a that's a difficult concept, uh, and a lot of work was done to try to get the right words down to describe that. Okay, I have an assignment for you for next week. Uh, back in two thousand nine. April 26th of 2009 and May 3rd of 2009, Ben McGraw preached two sermons on perichoresis. Okay? Perichoresis is the word that is used to describe the interpenetrating nature of the persons of the Trinity in, within each other. Okay? And also, it's a, it describes also a dance. And uh, so if you go back and listen to these two sermons... Uh, it will help. 
We're not gonna, I'm not going to try to reteach those sermons next week. But I think for you to get a better appreciation of the Trinity, it would help you to go back and listen to those sermons. I know a lot of you probably weren't here during, in, in 2009. Okay? It was uh, April the 28th and, and June the, I'm sorry, May the 3rd. April the 28th and May the 3rd. So if you go on the website and you go to uh, Sermon Audio, and it'll bring up Sunday, and you just kind of go scroll down through the list of sermons until you get down to 2009, April and May, okay? And you can, you can listen to them. So I would suggest that everyone do that. That's a good exercise. I certainly did it in getting ready for, uh, to teach this. Okay, so we've looked at two different verses of our four. Now let's look at the other two verses of our four key verses. Okay, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. This is called the Trinitarian Benediction. We got those up there. Can you, Cody, can you go to the next, just uh, the next, yeah, there we go. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Would someone please read that? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with you. Okay. So we have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in that benediction. Okay. All three of them. One verse. And then one more verse. It's not one verse, it's uh, four verses. Titus 3. And it's verses 4 through 7. Would someone like to read that? When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs Okay, so there's our regeneration, there's our salvation, there's our reconciliation, and all three persons of the Trinity are right there, okay? First of all, whose love is it? Whose love? God the Father. It talks about God, our Savior, okay? We normally think of Jesus as our Savior, but... You know, all of the persons of the Trinity are involved in these things, okay? Uh, so it talks about God, our Savior, loved us. And he saved us, not because of anything that we had did, okay, but because of his mercy. By washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, okay? The renewal that we receive as a result of our faith 
in Jesus, and the washing of regeneration is a result of the, the work of the Holy Spirit. He said he poured out on us richly through who? Jesus Christ, our Savior. Okay? So there we have our regeneration, our reconciliation, uh, and all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned as participating in that. Okay, so that's another good verse. That's, that's the fourth of the four key verses that we're going to look at here. Okay. Now, we talked about the fact that the Trinity is difficult, it's impossible to understand, but human beings don't typically like things that are impossible to understand. Okay? We want to be able to figure things out. We want to be able to put things in terms that we can understand, that we can get a handle on. Okay? Uh, and so, as a result of that, there have been a number of heresies that have developed about the Trin- over the Trinity because of people's misconceptions or they're trying to... Uh, trying to make the Trinity fit some model that uh, will help them to understand or, or, or uh, grasp it. Or, uh, as the first, probably the first uh, um, heresy that existed uh, was a result of trying to merge uh, Greek thought with the Christian uh, doctrine. Okay? Because when uh, Christianity was born, you had... Uh, Jerusalem, that's where it was born, okay, and then uh, people scattered and went out. Uh, The gospel was taken to the Gentiles who uh, primarily had Greek heritage, okay, so they were polytheists and uh, they studied the the writings of people like Plato and uh, so there was there was Greek thought that Somebody was coming at him with this holy, whole new idea here, this whole new, uh, you know, idea about God. And how does that mesh with what I already think about the, the universe and about the world? And so there were some attempts to try to, you know, synchronize those, and, and they resulted in some problems. Uh, the first uh, heresy that I want to deal with is called Unitarianism, Okay. And I'm not talking about the, the denomination or the religion of Unitarianism that we, as we know it in the United States. I'm talking about Unitarianism as being the idea that the uh, nature of God is not shared with anything except one person, okay? So in that sense, uh, the modern God of Judaism, that's Unitarianism. Uh, Islam is Unitarianism. You have a monad, a singular God, okay? Uh, Of course, uh, Judaism and Islam both reject the idea of the Trinity. Uh, So, the question is, okay, if there's no, uh, if there's only one person in God, then what does that do to Jesus? What does Jesus become? Hmm? Just a man, okay? Uh, And it might be that he's not just a man. He might be something else, but he's not God, okay? Uh, I think uh, one of the cults that we might come in contact with here from time to time is Jehovah's Witnesses, and they kind of have this idea that Jesus is some kind of a 
maybe a, an archangel or something like that, but he's not God. Okay? Um, so, there are still cults today, and one like Jehovah's Witnesses, that don't believe that Jesus is God. That he's something less than God. Okay? And so they, they find ways to take all the scriptures in the New Testament that, that refer to Jesus as being God and equal to God in every way uh, and uh, twist those, reinterpret those to mean something less. Okay. Another heresy that, that has come out of the Trinity is uh, polytheism. Okay. Now, back in uh, ancient times, we, they thought of polytheism being like the, Ro the Roman and Greek gods, you know, lots of gods, uh, none of them really truly divine in the sense that they were uh, sovereign or anything. There, were, there was all this co competition going on between gods all the time and uh, jealousy and all that kind of stuff. So, but today, we can be polytheistic, too, in the evangelical church. In fact, there's a lot of it going on, okay? Uh, There's this idea that people can have in the evangelistic church that the persons of the Trinity may be kind of in, in, they're in conflict with one another to some extent, okay? Because God the Father, he's this wrathful, angry, you know, person of the Trinity. And Jesus is the loving, forgiving person of the Trinity. And Jesus intercedes on our behalf with the Father to make him play nice with us so that he won't exercise his judgment and his wrath on us, okay? So in a sense, that's polytheism, okay? Uh, the problem with thinking that God is the one who's wrathful and uh, angry and that Jesus is the one who's loving and uh, forgiving it simply... Uh, doesn't square with scripture. Uh, first of all, let's look and see uh, in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. You know, we don't have to read this whole thing, but we can start out with verse 31, and it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the, the angels with him, then he will sit on the, his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Okay, so who's, this, who's on the throne here? Jesus, the Son of Man, okay? And it goes on to talk about how he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, and he's going to, he's going to send the goats to hell, and the sheep's going to go to heaven, okay? And he's going to use a word, words like, depart from me, you cursed ones, okay? So that's Jesus talking. That's what he's going to do when he comes at, at the end of time to judge the nations, okay? So it kind of blows holes in the idea that the Father is vengeful and angry, and Jesus is loving and forgiving, okay? Because 
what we have to remember about the Trinity is because it's one God in three persons, they are in agreement. Okay? The persons of the Trinity are in agreement with one another. They are unified in, in, in their, uh, their aim. They're unified in, 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 in their purpose. Okay? They, uh, uh, they're not disagreeing with each other. It's not like uh, we have plurality in leadership. But here at Crosspoint, we have three elders, okay? You know, it'd be nice to believe that those three guys never disagree about anything. It'd be nice to believe that they, every time something comes up, they all think exactly the same way, you know? But they don't. <laughs> you know, they can disagree with each other, okay? And somehow they have to come together and come to an understanding of, of the direction to go in. And sometimes that doesn't require a lot of work, and sometimes it does, Okay? But the persons of the Trinity don't do that. You know, they don't have different, different goals and ideas about where things need to go and different, different beliefs they, that they have to reconcile with one another. They all, they're all unified. Okay? And so the idea that, that there are different, the different uh, people in the Trinity, the different persons of the Trinity, not people, the different persons of the Trinity are against each other or somehow uh, have different aims is, is not scriptural at all. Okay, And on the other hand, Jesus is the one who says he's going to judge. But what does the Bible say about the Father? Okay, 1 John 3, 1. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So it says, see what kind of love the Father has given us. Okay? And then in, uh, just go on to the next chapter over in 1 John, to chapter 4. Verse 9, it says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Okay, so God the Father, okay, it doesn't call him the Father in that statement, okay, but it sent his, he sent his son, okay, implies the Father, okay, so, so God, God loved and sent his son. Okay. The other, another uh, heresy <clears throat> about the Trinity is called modalism. Okay. Uh, how many of y'all have ever heard somebody try to explain the Trinity to you in church by saying, you know, it's kind of like uh, water, ice, and steam? Have y'all ever heard that? Yeah. Okay, but the Trinity is kind of like water. It's, it can be either liquid, it can be frozen, or it can be vapor, okay? And so that's kind of the way God is. He can either be the Son, the Spirit, or the Father, okay? That just says there's one, there's one person in the Trinity, and he can just be who, the, which one he wants to be at any one given time, okay? That's a heresy. It's not... That's not the true orthodox doctrine of the Trinity, and it's not what Scripture teaches. 
When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, who was he praying to? He was praying to his father, okay? You had the God-man praying to his father in heaven, okay? Um, all throughout John, the, the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about he does what the father tells him to do. He doesn't say anything that he hasn't received from the father, okay? He has this relationship with his father in heaven, okay? It's not that God exited heaven and became a human for a while and then went back up to heaven and then came back as the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, and when we pray, we're just praying to this entity. It could be the Holy Spirit or it could be the Son or it could be the Father, you know? Uh, that's called modalism. And uh, by the way, uh, that's what T.D. Jakes teaches, if you all know who T.D. Jakes is. Uh, he's, he's a proponent of modalism, okay? Uh, so the key, the key element is the denial that there has existed in eternity past a divine relationship between three divine persons. And then there's one called subordinationism, okay? Subordinationism basically just says that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are less than God, Okay, there are created things less than God, and, and so uh, uh, they are, they're not really God. They don't share God's being. Okay. So we can go back to our definition. There's one God in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. They share in majesty, power. They're, they share. Okay. And then uh, heresies grew out of the most misunderstood element of the Trinity, that of the perfect sharing of the one divine being by three co-equal and co-eternal persons. This is most unlike our human experience and defies any kind of comparison or analogy. Okay, so back in the, about the second or third centuries, uh, when some of this kind of uh, merging of Christian uh, thought and uh, Greek thought began to happen, okay? Uh, the first person of note that tried to do some of that was Origen. He was one of the early church fathers in Alexandria. And he didn't actually cross the line into heresy, but he came pretty close, uh, trying to basically come up with a, something to make the gospel contemporary, make it acceptable to the society of the time, uh, which was largely Greek, okay? And they had the Greek thought. And the problem was in the Greek, in the Greek mind, there was this issue of the one and the many. It was, a, uh, you know, Plato and others believed that the true and ultimate thing was, was being in it or essence, and it was, there was just one thing, okay? And, uh, but there was also a lot of other things, a lot of that were like shadows of and uh, 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 copies and things of of, uh, of the oneness, and, and that's what we have to deal with in in, uh, in our everyday lives. Uh, let me see what I've got to what I said about it here. Yeah, the priority of the oneness is maintained and preferred, while plurality is acknowledged and tolerated. Okay, 
So you have the essence, the being, which is kind of the pure thing, and then you've got a world full of the multiple copies and shadows that have kind of fallen away from it. And so Origen was trying to, he was trying to kind of make Christianity more palatable in that, in that line of thinking uh, to merge it with Plato. Uh, the second guy that came along that really, he crossed the line, it was, uh, was one of the early church fathers in Alexandria by the name of Arius. And Arius went as far as stating that the sun was created. Okay, the sun was the first created being, the sun is not truly God, and that there exists a triaz or trinity of unequal glories. Okay, now as soon as he started saying that kind of stuff, uh, he began to get opposition. And one of his primary op opponents was a guy named Athanasius. I think you've probably heard Ben talk about Athanasius. Uh, and Athanasius, uh, they, they pretty much excommunicated Arius, okay? But uh, Athanasius uh, strongly opposed uh, the followers of Arius, and uh, he taught the doctrine of the eternal begottenness of the Son, that the Son was not created and is deity and is God, okay? There was also a guy named Sibelius that taught modalism, but he taught it as though... God was wearing masks. He was like an actor on the stage. And he could be three different characters, depending on which mask he put on. That's the way that they used to do it back then, okay? They'd put a mask on, and now I'm this guy. You know, take that mask off, put the, now I'm somebody else, you know? And, and, and so they, he taught that God was basically one, one God with three masks, okay? And so that was another, uh, another one of the heresies that came along, okay? So there was this battle that was going on to try to, you know, we've got to uh, hold to this orthodox belief of the Trinity, and that is that the Son, the Father, and the Spirit are all God. It's what the Bible teaches, okay? And uh, so in the fourth century, there were some Cappadocian theologians. Uh, these guys, their names, Gregory of, uh, of Nyssa, Gregory of... Nazianus and Basil of Caesarea, okay? You can put that Trinity chart up if you want to, Cody. Okay. So they use words like uh, hypostasis. Instead of using the Greek word that basically, uh, talked, basically was in, uh, translated into our language to be like, a, like, a, like people, individuals, okay? Persons. Well, as you think of a person, you think of an individual, Okay, you think of, of uh, someone who's kind of autonomous. Okay, they use the word hypostasis, which means a subsistence. Okay, and so the, the persons of the Trinity were, they use the word hypostasis for that. Okay, the essence is, was a word called wisia, or osia, okay, O U S I A. And so homoosia means of one essence. So here's the Trinity chart. We've got the, the essence, we see in the middle, okay? And then we've got the persons on the corners of the Trinity, or the corners of the, of the triangle. God, the essence, is in the middle, okay? So we say the Son, and the arrow points in and says, is God. The Father points in, is God. And the Holy Spirit points in, is God, okay? Then on the outside of the triangle, we've got these bidirectional arrows, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, 
The Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Okay? So that, that's a, a chart that was used year, ages ago and has been used throughout the ages to kind of depict, you know, how to think of the Trinity. Do we understand it? I mean, is this, a, is this diagram something that, that just makes a whole lot of sense to us and we can understand it and, and know that, oh yeah, you know, I see that. Well, no, but it, it's, it kind of describes what, by using these terms, they were able to describe a God who was one in essence but three in persons. Okay? And to try to capture what that means. Uh, and in fact, if you put an I between the two O's of homoousia, so it's homoousia, that means of a different essence or a similar essence. So it was actually, there was, a, there was an I in there that made the difference between heresy, which said Jesus and the, and the Holy Spirit are of a similar essence to God, but not the same, okay, and the, of being of the same essence. So, and I mean, people died for this stuff, you know? I mean, this was the kind of thing that, you know, people uh, were, were executed for, uh, was for things like this. Um, so, they also use the word perichoresis, and that describes a mutual indwelling of the persons of the Trinity in each other. The Latin father Tertullian coined the term one in essence and three in persons. Okay? The Father eternally begot the Son, and the Father and the Son eternally spired or breathed the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Okay? So that's what, that's the, that's kind of the, the, uh, the basic teaching of the Orthodox view of the Trinity. Uh, Gregory of Naziana said this, he said, no sooner do I conceive of the one than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them than I am carried back to the one. Okay, so these guys, man, they were, they were big time into to really thinking about the Trinity. Okay, and thinking about it in such a way that they were marveling at the awesomeness of their God. Okay, these guys weren't philosophers. They weren't guys that were sitting around like Plato and Socrates and people like that, you know, these, that wasn't what they were. These, these guys were, these were believing Christians who were trying to lay the foundation of the faith so that it could be carried forward and, and defended, okay? Uh, somebody said they weren't, they weren't philosophers, they were martyrs. A lot of them were martyrs, okay, because they were killed for their faith. Okay, the Council of Nicaea got together in 325, and they codified something called the Nicene-Constantinopolitan Creed. So today, the Nicene Creed is still used. Now, in Baptist churches, you typically don't recite the Nicene Creed. But in Presbyterian churches, in Lutheran churches, in Reformed churches, you know, they usually, it's usually part of their worship service, is they will they will say the Nicene Creed. The thing about it, the creeds, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Athanasian Creed, some of those things, they're not scripture per se, but they 
basically condense down and state what we believe as, as Christians, okay? So they're very good in that sense. And uh, so you can find the Nicene Creed on, online if you don't have, and you might even be able to find, if you've got an old hymn book or something, you might be able to find it in the back where they have the Psalms and, and other readings and stuff, the responsive readings. It's, it's possible that it could be in there. I don't know. Uh, I've got a book of common prayer at home, uh, and so it's in there. But uh, anyway, have we got the Nicene Creed up there? Okay, let's go to the first page. Okay, this is, this is the Nicene Creed, okay? This is what was codified at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD and which has been used by the church ever since, all around the world, okay? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. Okay. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Next page. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Okay, so one reason why, you know, Baptist churches might not like to use this is there's a, it says we believe in one holy Catholic church, okay? That's not the Roman Catholic church, just so everybody will know, okay? When the ancients talked about the Catholic church, they were talking about the universal church, all Christians, okay? They were, that they, as opposed to the church that is in so-and-so's house or the church that is in such-and-such a town, Okay. They were talking about the universal church. And so uh, there's, there, there, some people just have a phobia, you know, of using the word Catholic. Uh, I know someone who came to uh, my church that I grew up in, in Muskogee, and they recited the Apostles' Creed, which basically says the same thing at the end. It says we believe in, in the Holy Catholic Church. And he said he'd never go back because that church believes in the Roman Catholic Church. They're the Catholics, you know. And just it was ignorance, you know. No other way to, to describe it, just ignorance. And with no desire to, you know, improve the ignorance and, 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 and dispel it, uh, just being ignorant. But uh, so anyway, that's the creed, okay? Uh, and it states doctrine pretty clearly. It's Christian doctrine. Okay, so Calvin's caution. Calvin had a caution to us regarding the Trinity. And he said, Here indeed, if anywhere in the secret mysteries of Scripture we ought to play the philosopher soberly and with great moderation, let us then willing, willingly leave to God the knowledge of himself. So Calvin believed we should be very cautious when it comes to philosophizing about the nature of God. 
okay? And this is from Trinity and Reality, Ralph A. Smith, great quote. Trinitarian faith does not demand a sacrifice of the intellect because a lot of times we're criticized because, oh, you guys, you know, you're putting your brain on the shelf to believe in the Trinity when, you know, you can't, can't be understood. He said, it does not demand a sacrifice of the intellect. It demands the sacrifice of the pretense of intellectual autonomy, the notion that the mind or reason of man is the ultimate judge of truth. The truth of the Trinity requires us to accept what we cannot fully comprehend. So we've got to believe the Trinity on faith. We can, we can know a certain amount about the Trinity. We can know a certain amount about God's character and about, about the nature of God. But we have to believe the Trinity on faith because we simply cannot fully comprehend it. It's beyond us. Okay. Now next week we're going to look at the specifics in the Scripture that talk about the deity of the different persons of the Trinity. Because really, the, if you want to look at one thing that's probably the, the primary sticking point for people when they have difficulty with the idea of the Trinity, it's really they have more of a problem with Jesus being God. Okay? The deity of Jesus. That's, that's where, that's really the issue. Uh, not as much the Holy Spirit, maybe, I don't know, but, the, but usually the sticking point with people that have difficulty with the Trinity is really the difficulty with Jesus being equal to God, God the Father, okay? Uh, people, have, people have a hard time with that sometimes. Uh, uh, you know, that's one, of the, that's one of the issues. That's why cults get started. Uh, and Jesus being, a God, being fully God and fully man is just as difficult to try to comprehend as the Trinity, you know? The idea of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit also sharing the same essence. So next week we're going to go and talk about, uh, we're going to look at all the different scriptures, uh, the different characteristics of the Trinity, the roles of the different members of the Trinity, uh, because they do serve different roles. Okay? Yes, Jerry? Yeah, they are equal, and, but there is also hierarchy, okay? Just like there is in a marriage. Before God, the husband and the wife are equal, but there is a hierarchy in marriage, okay? And, and in that sense, you can see maybe an application of the Trinity in an earthly sense, okay? Uh, but uh, yes, Jesus did, it's in, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about the fact that Jesus didn't consider it... Uh, uh, to be equal with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took the form of a servant. That was part of the, that's the whole plan of salvation, okay? Which in itself is mysterious, you know? Why he would do that, you know? Uh, the, uh, in, in Revelation it says we were, uh, it talks about the saints who, uh, were, whose names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world, Okay? 
and, and the, the lamb that was slain, and uh, you know because of the uh, because of the lamb that was slain, and so uh, there are things about that that you know uh, to to think that God, who is from everlasting to everlasting, in everlasting back there, everything was already determined. You know, it wasn't a surprise that Adam sinned, and he was going to have to now come up with a way to fix that. You know, it was our God was sovereign. Okay. It's, it's not something we have all the answers to, that's for sure. So, okay, uh, let me pray, and we'll close. I'm a little bit over time. Father, this is, this is a big subject uh, to study you and to, to study your, your essence and your persons and, and uh, of, the, of you and, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and, and uh, we... We are overwhelmed uh, just trying to, to get our arms around things, Lord. We know that we can't fully. And we just, we just have to believe on faith that uh, that's who you are. And, uh, Father, I pray that you'd guide me as I prepare for next week and that, uh, uh, that those who are here as well would, uh, Lord, spend time just considering the truth of this and... Uh, just uh, appreciating you for who you are, uh, Lord. That we that you are a great and wonderful God. You're not some somebody that we can that we can get our arms around. You're not somebody that we can just find. You're, we can't put you in a box. We can't write a, a formula to describe you. That will uh, always predict how you're going to act. But Lord, uh, you've revealed yourself to us in your Word and. Uh, you've given us that. You've revealed yourself to us in creation and in history. And so, Lord, the things that you have revealed to us, uh, Lord, we need to, to take those to heart. And we need to consider those things and we need to meditate on those things. And we need to, to uh, uh, learn as much about you as, as what we are able to learn, Heavenly Father. So be with us. Go with us this evening, this next week. Uh, help us to, to be Trinitarian thinkers, to think about you as a Trinitarian God, a triune God, and, and us as having Trinitarian faith, Lord. And uh, just help us to uh, live in that. I ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, I hope, to, hope some of things can be a little clearer next week as we really look into...